0: So we'll continue today with our uh, insights in the Gospels. We've done several threes. We did three women from the Gospels. We did John 3. Uh, today we're going to do three um, ex- uh, examples from nature. The figs, the grapes, and the olives. Now figs, grapes, and olives are a big deal in Jewish life. When we went on one of our tours to Israel, uh, our guide made a um, a big point that uh, every house or every home would have a Gon, which is uh, Hebrew for garden. As a matter of fact, uh, the word for Garden of Eden is Gon edan And when we went to Jordan, uh, where It's not nearly as uh, advanced uh, development-wise as uh, Israel is today. They still had the terraces, and they had all these gons there. And he he said each gon would have three things. A fig tree, an olive tree, and a grapevine. Turn with me to Jeremiah 8, verse 13. Jeremiah 8, verse 13. And you can see... uh, an, an allusion to grapes and figs here. God says, through Jeremiah, uh, speaking of the the pending disaster of the invasion from the Babylonians, He says, I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. So there's this pestilence in this, this uh, uh, massive... Uh, uh, time of want coming and a symbol for that is no grapes, no figs. Uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We can see another uh, illustration. Verse 11. Uh, start with 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land. This is now the speech of Moses right before they go in and take the land. And the Lord God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards, olive trees which you did not plant. When you've eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord. So again, it's a sign of plenty to have grapes, olives, and figs see it again over just a couple of chapters in chapter 8. Looking at verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. A land of wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. It's just part of prosperity. Probably the most graphic Old Testament picture comes from Judges chapter 9. This is one of the, one of the judges giving a parable. Parable of the trees and in Judges chapter nine, verse eight, this is Jotham going out on the Mount Gerizim, and he's and he's talking to the men of Shechem, he says, Listen to men of Shechem that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them, verse eight, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us, but the olive tree said to me, Should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men? See, olive oil was used as an anointing. It was the, you know, the oil that Saul, I'm sorry, Samuel poured over Saul and David's head. It's it's a sign of honor. It's also the base for the incense in the temple, or in the tabernacle. This is this is honor. Should I, I'm I'm giving honor. Should I stop doing that to rule over you? Verse ten. Then the trees said to the fig tree, "You come and reign over us." But the fig tree said, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit? So oil brings honor. Of course, oil also brings light. It's the light for the lamps. It's also an essential ingredient for uh, bread. So it's a, it's a key part of food. And figs bring sweetness. This is, this is the sweetness of life. He said, I bring sweetness to life. Am I going to take time off from that and come and, and uh, spend my time with ruling over you? I'm not going to do it. Then verse 12, so the fig tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I cease giving my new wine, which cheers both God and men? So we've got here, uh, there's one right up, two right up here. So they say to, uh, you know, I, the olive tree says, I'm, I'm too busy giving, giving honor through my oil. I don't have time for you. And the fig tree says, I, I, I'm too busy giving sweetness to life. I don't have time for you. And the olive trees, I'm sorry, the the, the grapevine says, I, I'm, "I bring happiness and cheerfulness." So he ends up getting the brambles to rule over him, which is I, I won't go into the parable, but it's clear that he's using these illustrations to people that would have looked at these three plants this way. We can look at Psalm chapter 19, and in Psalm chapter 19 tells us that God intends nature to be part of what teaches us. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. Okay, we're, we're used to thinking about nature showing us things, right? But do you think about nature speaking to you? It does. Day unto day utters speech. If we're listening, if we have ears to hear, nature's speaking to us. And night unto night reveals knowledge. Where their voices, their line has gone out through the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. Nature's always speaking to us. Part of the word of God is, is nature. And this, these things give us benefit. Look at verse 8. The statutes of the Lord, which come from nature in part, are right, rejoicing in the heart, just like grapes. that gives us cheerfulness. Uh, verse 10, they're more to be desired than gold. In verse 11, in keeping with them this wisdom, there's great reward. So honor, like the olive tree. And verse 10, yea, the sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Here it's honey and honeycomb that's sweet rather than the fig. But sweetness is part of what we love in life. And it comes through nature, through these words that nature shows us. So let's look at three instances in the Gospels, figs, grapes, and olives, see what they have to teach us. We're going to get both the picture and the words that go with it. Look at Mark chapter 11, and we'll look at an instance of figs and a fig tree. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Um, so Jesus is in the area of Jerusalem. Bethany's just a couple miles east of Jerusalem. And he says, the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he, being Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from afar the fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. This is the key part of the passage, I think. Why? For it was not the season for figs. Okay, you got that? Why didn't he find figs? It wasn't time for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem, then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those and says, you know, you made my house a house of prayer. And then he talks about, uh, uh, well, see, and then then he talks to the scribes. So verse 20, now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now, can we have some sympathy for the fig tree? What did this fig tree do? It did what it was supposed to do, right? Was the fig tree supposed to have figs at the wrong time of year? And what happened to the fig tree? It's got cursed and it died and it withered up. Now, what's the point of this? Does Jesus just... Capricious and likes to go around killing stuff? Israel is the fig tree. Well, Israel's a fig tree, is a representative of the fig tree. But let's this is kind of troubling, really, if you think about it. Uh, so let's see why. Why did he do this? And so Jesus answered. So now he's going to tell him about why the fig tree withered up. He's going to give him two lessons from this for the disciples. The first one is faith. So Jesus answered and said, have faith in God. Because Peter's amazed, right? So what, 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 do you normally see fig trees just wither away? Now, the fact that Peter's amazed tells you several things. One is that Jesus didn't do miracles every minute of the day. So it hadn't gotten so commonplace. And the other is, he wasn't really paying attention when Jesus did do miracles because he's still surprised, right? This is one he hasn't seen. So he says, Have faith in God, verse 23, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He'll have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you'll receive them. You'll have them. So the first lesson is, even things in nature that act according to a certain plan that God laid out, you can intervene in that if you have enough faith. So don't be surprised at this. You can do the same thing with faith. That's lesson number one. And lesson number two is very interesting. Because just this is seamless. He just keeps right on going. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you and your trespass. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now, what does the fig tree have to do with forgiveness? What's the connection? Well, let me ask you something: Is everybody on Earth there to produce for you what you want when you want it? Of course. We have one yes. There can't be more than. (laughs) There can't be more than one, though. (laughs) When you get irritated and when you get bitter at someone, why is that? They didn't do what you wanted them to do when you wanted them to do it, right? And what do you typically do to that person? You get angry at them. Yes, you get angry at them and curse them, right? Okay, you hear this picture? If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in Heaven forgive your trespass. What did Jesus just get through illustrating? He said, "You didn't give me what I want when I wanted it. Never bear through it again, and it withers and dies in a day." Okay, so if you do that to others, if I do that to others, expect it back from God. Get the point? Are you motivated to start forgiving? You see it? Who's supposed to be there to meet our needs when we need it? God. And we're supposed to wait on that and say, whatever, whatever your timing is is the best timing. Everybody on, on, on planet Earth is not there to meet our needs when we want it, including our children, including our spouses. That's not what they're there for. Let's bless other people, and then God will bless us. You see the point? This is pretty graphic illustration. And Jesus obviously thought sacrificing a fig tree was worth the illustration. Well, figs are to bring sweetness into life. What does cursing other people bring into life? Bitterness. But forgiveness brings sweetness. It's a huge key to happiness. Happiness. Think if you've got anybody that you're bitter at because they didn't give you what you wanted when you wanted it. Forgiveness brings sweetness. The fig. Let's look at the grapes. Let's turn to John 14. John chapter 14. We are now in the the, uh, progression towards the cross. You see here in John 14 that uh, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And uh, in verse 24, he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. In John fourteen fifteen, he says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." In John uh, fourteen thirty one, after he has washed the feet, of, done the Lord's supper at the Passover. He has uh, washed the feet of the disciples. He then says in verse thirty-one, "But the uh, the world may know that I, but that the world may know I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do." Arise, let us go from here. So now they're leaving the upper room and walking. Good morning, come in. So they're leaving the upper room and walking. So in chapter fifteen, they're walking over to the Mount of Olives. They're walking over to the Mount of Olives and um, they walk by, no doubt, a gone. And in every gone there is a vine. Now there's two things you can do with a vine and we saw this in Jordan actually. Most of the vines we saw were actually just growing out of the ground. And grapes will grow that way. Um, if you just leave them on the ground, they put a disproportionate amount of their energy into growing roots. So you get less grapes. Most of the time when we see grapes, we see them in a cultivated orchard, and where are they? Are they just growing out of the ground? Where are they? They're on a trellis, right? Why do you put them on a trellis? So they'll divert their energy into more grapes. So they're walking along toward the Mount of Olives, which we're going to get to next, and Jesus, is walk, no doubt, walks by a and starts using illustration, right? Because uh, nature's always teaching. Nature's always speaking. And we probably don't catch most of it, right? So Jesus is being explicit and saying, here's some lessons that you can get from this. So he starts. He says, I'm the true vine. Now remember, he's just come from washing the disciples' feet and instituting the Lord's Supper where he says, you know, this... This vine is poured out is my blood, which I shed for you, uh, shed for many. Okay? He's, he's just said that this that, is something. So he's already introduced the grape and, uh, and a real poignant application of that to the disciples. So he's walking along now. He's going to use another illustration. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it says here, it takes away. This this phrase that is is, uh, translated takes away here, basically everywhere else uh, is translated lifts up. So much more probable than take away is lifts up. And it makes sense the way grapes go. Okay, if you've got a grape growing out of the ground, it's not bearing fruit, what would be the first thing that you would do as a, as a vine dresser? Put it on a trellis, right? So it'll start growing. Now, why would you do that? Because you're a vine dresser, what's your number one goal for the vine? For more grapes, right? So if a branch doesn't bear fruit, he'll lift it up. And every branch that bears fruit... He prunes now. Why do you prune away the extra branches on a on a grapevine? You have even more fruit. Right? I don't. I don't want you to spend your energy growing roots. So I'm going to lift you up, and I don't want you to spend your energy growing more limbs. So I'm going to cut those off. I want all the energy to go the possible go into grapes. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, what happens if you cut a branch off? It turns into firewood, right? You can use it, but all you can use it for is to start a fire. You can't eat it. So, abide in me and I abide in you as I and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This word abide here is the Greek word minno, M-E-N-O. And if you, look, if you go through and look at it, it's used things like, and Jesus minno at this house for three days. So it has the idea of just perching someplace and just remaining there for a while. Uh, we might use the term Hang out. So, it's hang out with me and I'll hang out with you, sort of a thing. Let's stay together. So, if we don't stay together, then you don't have fruit. I'm the vine, so the thing that goes down in that brings sustenance from the ground. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me, verse 5, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And this is very interesting because previously in the gospel, Jesus says, of myself I can do nothing. I only do that which the Father tells me to do. And now he's saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, I've, I've lived, Jesus is saying, this perfectly dependent life because I plugged into my Father even though I didn't have to because I'm perfectly deep, uh, independent because I'm God. But I'm showing you what this life looks like. Now, I'm going to go back to the Father. You plug into me and do what I've shown you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus actually could have done something apart from God. He didn't. We actually can't do anything apart from God. We're totally dependent. It's reality. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. Okay. So now you do have the branch that's cut off and you just put it over here in a pile. And what do you use that for kindling yeah just start a fire and they gather them and throw them in the fire and they burn if you abide in me we're talking about usefulness here now right if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you you'll ask what you desire and it'll be done for you <clears throat> by this my father is glorified glorified just means something's essence is observed so when we bear fruit other people see God actually why do they see God when they see us love other people? Because we can't do that on our own, right? We can't. We actually cannot do that. So when we do something God's commanded us to do, it's His power, and they're seeing God. And that's what God wants: lots of fruit. So be my disciples. Verse nine: As the Father loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. Remain in it. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. So abide in me, what does that look like? What does that mean? Do what I ask you to do. If you do what I ask you to do, then you're in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. See, I did what the Father asked me to do. What was the main thing, the big thing that God, the Father asked Jesus to do that was really hard? Yeah, come to heaven and, and I mean, leave heaven and come here as a man in the first place, right? That's a very uncomfortable thing to do versus where he was. said, so I did it. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you. Speaking means what? Words, right? I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. What's the what's the purpose of the, of the vine and the grape? Cheerfulness. Okay? So the vine and the grape bring cheerfulness and Jesus says, I want you to have cheerfulness. And the way you have cheerfulness is, do what I ask you to do. This is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's down one life for his friends. So, who's about to lay down a life here? I mean, he's on his way. He's, on, he's headed to the Mount of Olives. I mean, it's just, it's just a day away here. He's about to lay down his life. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, he's being pretty repetitious here, okay, just do what I ask you to do. What's the main thing I ask you to do? Love other people. And it's interesting here. The fig, the main thing that he wants us to do is what? What's the big lesson from the fig? Sweetness. Well, Sweetness. But what's the main lesson from the fig tree, the withering root, and so forth? Faith. Faith. Forgiveness. forgiveness, yeah. So forgiveness is kind of number one. What does forgiveness allow us to do with our relationships? Love. Yeah, love one another, right? Because if, you, if you're bitter against someone, can you, can you love them? It's not really possible, right? Forgiveness removes the barriers to loving. And then loving looks like doing what God asks you to do. Telling people the truth, bearing their burdens... Listening to them. Um, so then he says, "There's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, and who are my friends? Verse 15, "But I have called you friends. For all things I heard from my Father, I made known to you. You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you you should go and bear fruit. I appointed you to go bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, He'll give you. These things I command you that you love one another. You take my words, my words abide in you. Because my words abide in you, you can then do them. When you do them, you're bearing fruit, you're bringing joy to yourself. No doubt it will bring joy to others too, but the emphasis here is on you'll actually be bringing joy to yourself. I want you to have my fullest joy. And the way you do that is by doing what I ask you to do. And the best thing you can do possible is lay down your life for a friend. Now, how opposite is lay down your life from a friend versus cursing somebody because they didn't give you what you want when you wanted it? That's pretty much opposite, isn't it? <clears throat> But you see, if you curse someone for, for uh, not giving you something that you wanted when you wanted it, what you get back is withered roots. And if you bless people, even when they don't appreciate it, even when they're doing something nasty to you, you get your joy made full because you're laying your life, in your life for a friend. Well, it doesn't make much sense from a worldly wisdom standpoint. But look at verse 18. If the world hates you, it know you, it know, you, you can know it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. And if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So, the fig is to bring sweetness. And what brings sweetness to our life is forgiveness because it washes away the bitterness. The grape is to bring cheer. And what makes our joy full is when we do what God asks us to do and love others, even laying our life down for a friend. Well, then that leaves us with the olive. So right after this, John 15, they head right over to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives. Anybody know why there's a garden called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives? There's a lot of olive trees there. Okay. Yes, Gethsemane means is Hebrew for olive press. So it's the garden of the olive press on the Mount of Olives. Now, I've had the privilege of being in Israel and seeing an ancient olive press. And I don't know that it's a whole lot different than still today. Here's how it works. You pick the olives... You actually beat the tree and the olives fall down. You pick them up off the ground. Then you put the olives in a, in a wicker basket. Then you stack the wicker baskets up, two, three feet tall, and put a tree limb on it that's uh, balanced on one end. So let's say it's about 10 feet long and uh, maybe you know, 20 inches diameter or something like that. So it has a little bit of weight on it. And then the weight starts crushing the olives. And the very first oil that comes out of the olives is the virgin oil. You can still buy virgin olive oil today, and then as you put and then as you add weight, you get a uh, lesser quality of uh, oil each time. So what they do is they hang rocks from this uh, tree, and the more weight they want, the more the more rocks that they put on it, giant, giant like boulders until until the olives until the oil is all crushed out of the olives. So here we have this fruit, this olive, and by getting the oil, we get three things from it. We get light, we get bread, and we get that with which to honor. Honor God, honor the king. It's a big deal, this olive oil. But what do you have to do first before you get the light and the bread And honor. What has to happen first? Has to be crushed, right? So Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane for what reason? To be crushed. And he prays, and what's his prayer? Please take this from me. And he tells his disciples, I'm in agony even to the point of death. Please watch with me. And we even see a physical manifestation of the crushing, which is his sweat becomes like huge drops of blood because he's being crushed. And why, what is the crushing? What is so devastatingly difficult? He's about to take our sin. Yeah, yeah, that's what's so hard is this isn't what I want to do, but it's what God wants me to do. Is it hard to turn the other cheek? Is it hard to uh, bear someone else's burdens? Is it hard to forgive someone and let God worry about the judging rather than me when they're clearly guilty? It is hard to do the will of God. It's really hard. Is it hard to accept circumstances that you cannot see how they could possibly turn into anything good? It's really hard. It's much easier to just curse those circumstances or curse that person because they didn't give you what you want when you wanted it. That's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier to say, I don't need your... In this particular case, God... Appreciate you being there for being my vine and all. But for this particular thing, I think I just need to separate out and go do my own deal. A whole lot easier. It's really hard to do this stuff God asks us to do. Now, it's ridiculously simple. He doesn't ask us to do anything that's not completely simple. It's just hard. Why is it hard? It shouldn't be. Because our joy is made full we get blessing instead of cursed roots. Sweet brings sweetness to life. Should be easy. Why is it hard? Well, we have a free will and we have something else. A warped perspective. That comes from our sin nature, right? The hard part is setting aside the sin nature and seeing reality the way it really is. Should be easy. It's not easy. And with Jesus, you know, he struggled just like we did. Because it's difficult to go through circumstances and do what God asks us to do. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. Setting aside the world, setting aside all this uh, emotion or whatever else is happening, that's a hard thing to do. But the easy thing to do is to understand sweetness is better than bitterness. Uh, It's easy to understand having a vibrant tree is better than having cursed roots. It's easy to understand cheerfulness and joy is better than misery. And that's what we're being told here. So we've got an illustration from nature. We got the figs that bring sweetness. We got the grapes, that bring cheerfulness. We got the olive that brings honor. Light. Bread. And Jesus is all those things to us. And if we do what he says to do and abide in his love, serve others as he washed the feet. We get all those things. If we don't, if we demand our circumstances give us what we want when we want it, we demand other people give us what we want when we want it, then we're kind of on our own. And how's a tree do on its own? Doesn't do too good. How's a vine do on its own? Doesn't do too good. Okay? So that's three plant uh, illustrations in nature from the Scriptures. God, I pray that you'd help us take these illustrations to heart. You gave us this wonderful nature so we could learn and see. And I ask that you would uh, help this really sink in and show us in every details of the day what doing your will looks like. I pray that you'd give us great friends because we serve them uh, and lay down our life for them. I pray that You'd give us great sweetness because we don't demand of others or our circumstances uh, <clears throat> fulfill our needs, but we depend on You and trust that You're giving us what we want, uh, what we need, when we need it. I pray that You'd give us light and your, uh, the understanding from Your Word and, and bread on a daily basis, a sustenance, and that You would honor us. That we wouldn't have to seek honor from other people, but we would trust that you will honor us for doing what you ask us to do. And I pray that you give us joy and you'd make our joy full as we abide in you and we abide in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great day. Oh, this is my brother Dennis' birthday. (laughs) Yep. Be sure to tell him happy birthday.